Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13. And then also, um, inside of your bulletin this morning, there was a handout for this morning's message. If you'd like to follow along, it's, you should find it in there. It's on a white sheet. Romans chapter 13. In two days, our state will elect a new governor as well as other state officials, Supreme Court judges. And uh, with that in mind, I'd like to take some time away from our study in Mark to look at Romans 13 and to find out what God has to say about human government. Is government good or bad? You don't have to turn on the news radio or political stations on TV for very long before your blood begins to boil at how incompetent and inept our government is. And uh, if you're like many other people, you perhaps watch or listen to these types of stations every day. And as over time, what happens is it begins to be ingrained in your mind as to what we should think about government. And part of the problem with that sort of lifestyle is that it becomes a way of life and ultimately our thoughts of our government come from, in many cases, unbelievers. Uh, now, you may have heard some of these political uh, motivators call themselves believers or even speak the name of Jesus, say they go to a church or they're some sort of religious person but I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but just because someone says that they're a believer doesn't make them a believer. The sign out front says that Christians are those who who are being led by the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It's those who are being led by the Spirit. It's not those who simply name the name of Christ. So in many cases, that's why I say I can sense that these people are unbelievers because they're not living like believers. They're teaching things against the Bible in many cases. And so I have little hesitation to say that many of these political news personalities are not believers. And, and so we should guard ourselves against their influence on our lives. The most extreme of these political motivators uh, call for violation of certain laws to the point where they call out for their listeners to be participating in civil disobedience, going against the law in order to accomplish some political agenda. And sometimes they even do it in the name of Christ. That we have to stand up for Christ so we're going to stand up against the government. One of these men, Bill O'Reilly, claims to be a follower of Christ, a Catholic albeit, he said in, in 2005, speaking of Hurricane Katrina, I wish Katrina had only hit the United Nations building, nothing else. Just had flooded them out, and I wouldn't have rescued them. I mean, these are the type of people that are molding our minds. And the saddest part about it is that our view of government is based on what they have to say. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go from from this extreme all the way to the other extreme and start listening to you know, Chris Matthews or, or John Stewart or somebody. Rather, our view of the government should be shaped by what God says. And that's why I want to take some time 
this morning to look at what the Scriptures have to say about our government. Now, sometimes we say, well, you know what? We, we, we are willing to obey our government as long as they are of a godly breed. As long as they are Christian rulers. I'm happy to obey them. But when they start doing things that I don't like or that, that are even against the Scripture, then I don't have to obey them. If they're not godly, I can ignore them or overturn them. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're going to be shaped by what God thinks about government, then we need to go to the Scriptures. Not to these people, these talking heads who think they know everything about what the government is about and what is best for our country. God knows what's best for our country. And so we come to Romans chapter 13, verses 1-7. through 7, And Paul includes this section of Scripture, the responsibility to our government, in a larger section, verse Oh, chapters 12 and 13. He begins that section, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, with familiar verses. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he begins the section by saying, listen, as a Christian, you need to be willing to offer yourself and and set yourself apart from the world. So what some of these believers could be thinking in Rome is, well, if I need to be set apart from the world, then I need to reject the pagan government. These people who are so enmeshed in themselves and, and exalting themselves. Paul says, don't go too far. Don't try to say you're so spiritual by separating yourself from the government or disobeying the government. Don't go that far. And that's why he comes here in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, say that, that if you're going to follow God, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to condemn human governments. Okay, let's read these verses, beginning with chapter 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they, have po- and, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. I think what Paul is saying here in this passage is that we must submit to human government. We must submit to human government. Let me show you why I say that. See the structure of this passage. Um, Let me try to show that to you. Verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Look down to verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection speaking of governing authorities. So the main command here, the main thrust of the passage is be in subjection to your governing authorities. 
in verses one through four, he he tells us why, or he tells us why we should do so. Why should we submit ourselves to governing authorities, even perhaps pagan governing authorities? Why should we do that? He answers that in verses one through four, and a little bit into verse five, and then in verses six and seven, he answers how. How do we do that? If we're supposed to submit ourselves to human government, how do we do that? And so he tells us in verses 6 and 7. Now, one of the dangers that can happen when we look at a passage such as this is we can start to explain away some of the terms that are here. So what I want to do is begin by explaining a few terms. First of all, governing authorities. Governing authorities. You see that in the middle of verse 1. It literally translates the surpassing authority, the, the, one, the surpassing one with regard to authority, the one who is supreme over you, the one who represents the power of the state, whether that be a local government all the way up to a national government. It is the supreme person who is over you, the, the, the supreme ones who are over you. And what, is, what does Paul say about those Authorities. He says, be in subjection to the governing authorities. It includes all of them. It doesn't say, be in subjection to the Christian authorities. Be in subjection to the ones that believe in the Bible type authorities. It says, be in subjection to the governing authorities. And this subjection, which we see in verses 1 and 5, really simply means to submit. And that's why I said the theme of this passage is to submit to your human rulers. Submit is the idea of of putting yourself under. Um, It doesn't mean that they're better than you or closer to God than you, more godly than you, but simply that God has put them in authority over you. Like a police officer has the authority to pull you over, for example. Jesus recognized that people had authority over Him, in a sense, while He was on the earth. And as a human, in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 31, says that Jesus was in subjection or in submission to Mary and Joseph. He recognized that they had a certain amount of authority over Him. So He was willing to submit Himself to them. Church, the church should be submitted to Christ. Believers should be submitted to God. This is how this term is used throughout the New Testament. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about all things will one day be in subjection to Christ. See that in Ephesians and Philippians as well. Uh, believers should be subject or in submission to church leaders. Wives should be in submission to their husbands, servants to masters, and then citizens to government. We see this here in Romans, also in Titus chapter three and in First Peter chapter two. Now that doesn't simply mean to obey them in all things. We'll talk about the exception to the rule, and, and perhaps that's where you're already thinking. Well. What happens when they tell me to disobey God? We'll get to that towards the end. But what Paul is focusing on is not the exception, but the rule. He's saying you, what you have done or what, what can happen is that you make the exception the rule. Well, because they, they've disobeyed you in this area, I'm not going to obey that government at all, and so I'll throw the whole thing out. Rather, we, we should, Paul says, be in subjection. In other words, we should recognize their rightful authority over us. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5-13? through 13, The centurion came up to Him and said, Christ, my son, is sick. Can you come to Him? He was either sick or, or, or 
or he'd already died. I can't remember. But but Christ, but Christ, he, Christ says, fine, I'll come with you. And the centurion says to, to him, but why do you have to come? You don't have to come. You, you have people who are under your subjection, don't you? Can't you just say it and it happens? He says, I'm a centurion. I'm a, I'm a soldier. And I have people who are under me. And when I tell them to do something, it happens. I don't have to be there. And that's the idea here. That we recognize our rightful position with regard to God's structure in our lives. And what we're going to see is that God has put as a structure over us, one of the things that He's put in, put in authority over us is a human government. We are underneath it. And so we should recognize our rightful place in that hierarchy. So we should yield to, to our human government. We should yield to their authority. That is the main structure of the passage, the main content, the main force of the passage. Now what we need to answer is why. Why would we ever do that, Paul? Why would we submit to pagan human government? What is the point? And the reason uh, that Paul gives in verses 1-5 through five is that we must submit to human rulers because all rulers are God's rulers. All rulers are God's rulers. First of all, we see at the end of verse 1 that all rulers are ordained by God. Do you realize that? Look at, look at the end of the verse. It says, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. The immediate objection to Paul's claim, submit to human rulers, is already squashed in the second part of that first verse. He says, no. Don't even bring up the objection that some of them are pagan because all of them have been established by God. All of them. Not one. There is no exception to any of these rulers. They've all been established by God. They all exist for His purposes. He doesn't leave any exceptions for wicked rulers or conniving rulers or ones that were voted in by a liberal populace or whatever. They're all established by God. That includes any president who's ever been elected. It includes anyone who's forced their way into power as king of, of a certain province. It includes Fidel Castro, Saddam Hussein, adult, uh, Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, Pharaoh, King Ahab, King Rehoboam, Nero. It doesn't matter who it is. Paul is saying here in verse 1 that all human rulers have been established by God. They have been ordained for His purposes. The first reason we need to submit is because all human rulers are God's rulers. They have been ordained by God. But not only that, we see in verses 2 and five, two through 5 that they, they, they are servants of God. All human rulers are servants of God. We see uh, that they serve God in verses 2 through 4. In fact, in verse 4 it says two times that they are ministers of God. Look at verse 4. For it is, that is the government, the government is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God. Two times it says that the government is, is are ministers of God. In verse 6, it calls them servants of God. Notice, for because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God. Now servants usually refer to someone who consciously carries out God's plan. They know what God wants and they are consciously doing it. Okay, You and I are, are called servants in the Scriptures. 
But it can also refer to a civil official, someone who, one who unconsciously does the work of God. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 9, God calls King Nebuchadnezzar my servant. How could you say this, God? King Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked man. Yet he was accomplishing God's purpose. That's the same thing that's going on here. God says, even though they are wicked rulers, they are accomplishing my purposes. They are ministers of mine. They are servants of mine. Two ways we see that human rulers serve God. Verse 3. First of all, we see that human rulers serve God by promoting good. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. So there's two purposes, I think, for human rulers and two ways in which they serve God's purposes. One, they promote what is good. They promote what is good. Government is put into place. It was established initially and it continues to be, not just ours, but all governments, are there for the good of the people. This is what Paul is arguing here. He specifically says that in verse 4 that they are a minister of God to you for good. They promote good. That's their job, to do good for society. So, if you want to be in good standing with the government, then Paul says, do good. It's that simple. It reminds me of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where we have the fruit of the Spirit. And you have all these fruit of the Spirit listed out, and at the end it says, against such thing there is no law. Find for me a government that makes it against the law to love your neighbor. Find me a government that... that says it's against the law to be faithful or gentle or patient. Those fruit of the Spirit, those are not against the law. And so in that sense, the government not only allows, but it promotes good in some sense. Now, maybe not as far as we want it to go. We'll talk about exceptions down the road here. But let's just think about what Paul is talking about. The government is designed to promote good, but also the end of verse 4 tells us it's also designed to punish evil. It says in the second part of the verse, But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Did you notice the two times that minister of God was used? First it was says, a minister of God to you for good, and at the end of the verse, a minister of God to do evil. That is, to, in this case, uh, perform capital punishment. It is the government's prerogative responsibility to, to uh, take a life for a person who has already taken a life. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 through 21, which is a timeless principle that is set up. That a person who takes someone who is made in the image of God, then they should be put to death. And this is what one of the reasons the government exists. If a person practices evil, they can expect to receive the wrath that comes from the government. This is God's instrument of wrath in some cases on us when we disobey. And so uh, the point here is that we must submit to them. So if they are promoting good, if the government is promoting good, and if they are suppressing evil, if they are servants of God, and Paul's saying they are, then here's what he is saying. Notice verse 2. We must submit to them. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation 
upon themselves. Why should we not resist authority? Why should we not oppose them? I think there are three reasons. Number one, disobeying human rulers is the same as disobeying God. Did you notice that at the beginning of the verse? Therefore, whoever resists authority, that is governments, governing authority over you, whoever resists that has not just resisted the government, but they've resisted the ordinance of God. You see, if God has established these governments, no matter who, what government it is, if He has, Paul says He has, then for you to resist them is to resist not only them, but God. So to disobey human rulers is the same as disobeying God. And secondly, disobeying human rulers brings condemnation. Now the question we could ask is, condemnation by whom? Notice the end of the verse, verse 2. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now it could be that it's referring to condemnation that comes by God at the end of the age. That He brings judgment on those who oppose the government. And I don't think we should exclude that, but I think what... I think if we look at the context, we notice that in verse 4, who performs this act of condemnation? Look at verse 4 again. Uh, let's start with the second line there. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath, or we could say condemnation, on the one who practices evil. So the condemnation that comes from God for disobeying human rulers often comes through the government. And so we should not disobey them. We should not uh, usurp them or oppose them. Human government is, in a way, God's wrath personified. And the third reason we should not disobey human rulers is found in verse 5. Disobeying human rulers mars the conscience. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Okay, so what we have here at the beginning of the verse, we should be in subjection. We should submit to human rulers, not only because of wrath, verse 4, because of the condemnation that can fall on us because we disobey them. Not only should we, uh, should we obey the government for that reason or submit to them for that reason, but also, the end of the verse says, verse 5, for conscience' sake. Now, why would Paul put this in here? I think what he's doing is he's reviewing what he had already talked about in verses 1 and 2. He's saying in verses 1 and 2, you saw that it was God who established this government, right? If God established this government, then you should obey it because God has established it. And so when you disobey it, you should bring condemnation on your own conscience, meaning you should, your conscience should be... Um, Condemned. Because after all, you're not submitting to God. To submit to God is to submit to human government. So, if we agree with what Paul is saying here, then the next question we have to ask is how? How do we do this? Verses 6 and 7 tell us. Verse 6, For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Because we are aware of God's authority, verses 1 through 5, that He has established them, that they are His servants in a way, then we must pay taxes. 
We give to them what is owed to them. We render to them what is owed. So whether that be what Paul says in verse 7, taxes, then we pay them taxes. So that means if there is an income tax, we pay an income tax. If there is a property tax, or an estate tax, or a gas tax, or even if they came up with a shoe tax for wearing shoes, we pay it. Because that's God's instrument of of authority over us. And then he says revenue. Revenue to whom revenue is due. This includes indirect government assessments like customs duties and things like that. So whatever government comes up with to make you pay taxes, whatever they come up with, you need to pay them. This is what Paul is saying. Then he finishes, not only that, it's not just simply just throwing in your money, but it's also to give them honor and respect. Do you see the end of the verse? Fear to whom fear, or, or in other words, respect to whom respect, and honor to whom honor. Now why would we ever give respect to a pagan human government? Verse 6 gives us the answer. Notice the end of the verse. Because for rulers are servants of God, what are they doing? They are devoting themselves to this very thing. How did we say that rulers, human rulers, even pagan ones, serve God? Two ways, right? Verses 3 and 4. They promote good and they punish evil. So if they are working, verse 6, for this very thing, if they're devoting their lives to this very thing, being servants of God by promoting good and suppressing evil, then we owe them respect and honor because God's put them there in that place of authority over us to protect us in many ways. And so that means that we should be willing to pay taxes. We should be willing to give them respect. Now, we've gone through the passage. Okay, The biggest question that you have in your mind is not, what does this passage mean? You understand that it means to submit to human rulers. The biggest question you probably have in your mind is this. What if my ruler were Hitler? Right? I mean, what happens if I have an unbelieving, ungodly, pagan, reprobate, God-dishonoring, self-absorbed ruler like Hitler? What, what about that case? In that case, Paul can't be saying that I have to submit to them, can he? But I would suggest to you that, yes, there, there still is that recognition that they have the authority over you. Okay. And before we talk about the exception to, to disobeying government, Okay, and obeying God instead of government, we need to recognize a few things. First, we must clearly understand that God has sovereign control over all rulers. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40 with me, please. God has sovereign control over all rulers. There hasn't been a time in history, nor will there ever be, including the Antichrist himself, when someone sneaks into authority as a, as a governing ruler over some nation or state, and God says, whoops, I wasn't planning on that. Notice Isaiah chapter 40, verse 23. Speaking of God, Isaiah says, He it is who reduces rulers to nothing who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but He merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. 
How significant are human rulers to God in the big scheme of things? He simply takes a look at them, blows out a little breath of his air, and they're gone just like that. You think God's out of control? He is not. All governing authorities have been established by God. And He is in sovereign control over them. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's hand is in the heart of the Lord. He turns it whatever way He wishes. It doesn't say the believing king's hand. It says the king's hand, no matter who He is, God has control over Him. Nothing is outside of His control. Turn to John chapter 19 on your way back to Romans, please. John chapter 19. Because we get another indication about God's derived authority or, or the borrowed authority that He gives to these governors, these rulers, when Jesus stands before Pilate. Notice John chapter 19 and verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? So from the government's perspective, from this governing authority's perspective, who, who did he think had the authority? He thought it was from him. But notice what Jesus says in verse 11. Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, the one... For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Listen, Pilate, it's because you think you have authority over me. You have nothing over me that God hasn't given you. That, that authority you have is borrowed authority. And so, in that sense, God is in control over all rulers. In other words, he has them on a leash. He can allow them to do as he pleases. They can be punishers of evil if he wants, or they can be promoters of good, or both. And, because God is in control of all human rulers, even wicked Pilate, even passive Pilate. Second thing we must understand in order to answer that question, what happens if we have a, a wicked ruler over us? Should we submit to them? Second thing we must understand is the historical context of when, in which Paul is writing do you remember who one of Paul's rulers was in his day? Nero. Do you remember Nero? The guy who, who killed his own mother and his stepbrother and was reported to poison his own infant son? And many people believe he was the one who started the Great Fire in 64 and, and during that time was, was playing a fiddle, watching the city burn? I mean, Nero. And Paul's saying, listen... All of these authorities have been established by God. So you must submit to them. But Paul, what happens if my government is wicked? What happens if they hate God and they reject all of His truths? Paul's saying, God put them there. You need to respect them. You need to honor them. He's specifically talking about a repressive regime of which uh, most of us have not even experienced. We live in a free country, one in which uh, Paul would have uh, probably never have experienced. And, and yet he's saying that, that we should submit to government. So we of all people should be willing to submit to ours. Thirdly, 
Paul is not teaching about the exceptions. Did you notice he didn't give any exceptions in his passage in verses 1-7? through He didn't say, well, except if... Or except if your, your government is this way or that way, or if, if you're in a certain society, I understand. Because he knew that people already had exceptions lined up in their mind. Now, we know of these exceptions, and, and we need to address those. And that's why, fourthly, we need to understand that our submission to government does not supersede our submission to God. In other words, we should never submit to government over our submission to God. If the government tells us to do something illegal or to do something that is against God, then as Acts 4, 19 and 20 say, we would rather obey God than men. But when doing so, um, we need to be careful how we do that. We'll talk about that when we get to the application. Okay? But, but our biggest hang-up when it comes to government is they don't respect God. They don't even care about God. They think they are gods themselves. And so why should we ever obey them? But do you know, if we, treat, if we treated our parents the way that we treat governments, we would, we would never have obeyed our parents at all. Whether believing parents, whether you had believing parents or unbelieving parents, could you imagine if our kids treated us the way that we treat the government sometimes? Well, you know, my parents aren't obedient in everything. They disobey God in lots of areas, and they list off a number of things that you do. And so, as a result, I'm not going to obey them at all. We would say no. I mean, obviously, you need to obey them in some areas. Don't don't obey where they're disobeying God, but. You need to obey them in some areas, right? But when it comes to government, we do the exact same thing. We say, well, they're disobedient in some areas to God, so I'm not going to listen to them at all. And Paul's saying, you've missed the point. God is in control. Recognize and appreciate the rightful place that government has over you and submit to them accordingly. Recognize their position over you. Now, I began by talking about some pretty provocative ideas that come from conservative medias. And so, with regard to application, we need to think about how we view government. And that means we need to be careful with what shapes our mind when it comes to government. So that may mean for you that you need to turn off those political news stations for a while. Turn off the radio station that that is barking defiance against our government and turn to the Scriptures and find out what God says. Now, I'm not saying that none of what they have to offer is of any value, those political stations, but what I am saying is we have to be careful with what shapes our minds. Secondly, we need to understand that the best way for the unsaved world to see that our belief in Christ is genuine is not by seeing us stand up and be opposed to the government. Participate in some march against some or for, for some cause. The best way for our unbelieving world around us to see that we love God is to submit to them even when it seems unbearable or seems as if it, it's difficult. That's exactly what Peter says when he's talking about the same thing. Submit to every human institution, whether king or governor, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. 1 Peter 2, 13-17. You want to be an example to your neighbor, be willing to submit to difficult circumstances. And that means a pagan authority. Number three, 
we must recognize that God is still on the throne. No matter what happens in the elections on Tuesday or in the elections in 2012, no matter if even if Hitler's grandson became the, the president of our country, we won't have to fear unless our kingdom is, of, is, is not of this world. Unless our kingdom is of this world. Excuse me. If our kingdom is of this world, then we should fear who is in the government. But you know what? Our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is of another world of which God is in control. So we can expect that He has control over all things. He is still on the throne. And because of that, we should next pray for our government. Pray for our government. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 talks about praying for every human authority, whoever it is, whether kings or princes, whoever it is, pray for them. We should regularly pray for our government. And that also means that we should exercise the responsibilities that we do have to vote. This Tuesday, we have an opportunity to elect God-honoring, in some cases, uh, or, or ones that, that are better than others, uh, officials. So we should, we should use that responsibility. By the way, we have some voting guides out, the back, uh, out on the back table if you haven't um, looked at those yet. Make sure that you're ready before you come to the polls. Make sure you know who, who are the correct people to put in office. Um, those are placed there for your benefit. And if uh, those run out, let me know. I, I know where you can go to, f- to find some more. Next, um, we need to ask ourselves, where are we resisting government? Remember what verse 2 said? Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Where are you resisting the government? Are there taxes that you are evading? Because, hey, they don't deserve it. They're using it for unlawful purpose, ungodly purposes. So they don't deserve it. I'm not going to give them everything that they are they uh, have asked for. Are you avoiding taxes in that way? How about uh, traffic laws or permit laws? Or are you sitting around at work or at home disgruntled about the government and, and, and commiserating with other uh, disgruntled people? We should not do that. We should give respect and honor to our government. And that's why I say sometimes those, those political stations can be so dangerous because there's no love lost with, with, between them and our government, is there? And so we've got to be careful. Our love for God is displayed how? It's displayed in our obedience to God, right? And this passage tells us that we obey God by doing what? By submitting to our government. So if we're going to be loving to God, then we should obey God. If we're going to be obeying God, then we should be submitting to our government. But there will come times when the government tells us to do things that we should not do because God has told us not to do it. So when we're forced to obey God over government, we need to use wisdom. There's two things that we need to take into consideration. First of all, whenever possible, ask permission. Ask permission. Now, this sounds kind of silly. Listen, if God told me to do it, I'm going to do it. But Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel was told to eat the king's meat. And he said, no, I'm not going to eat that defiled food. And he, said, he could have said, no, I'm not going to eat it at all. But what did he do? He asked for permission. And as a result, God was glorified in it because he became more healthy than the other ones who were eating the meat, even though he wasn't. So whenever possible, we should ask permission from the government. For example, 
at uh, the Vacation Bible School this year, we had some some temporary signs out front that were that was telling kids about the event that was taking place. We got a letter in the mail the week before and said you need to have these signs down by Tuesday. Tuesday of the week. How are we supposed to let kids know that this thing is actually going on if we can't have our signs up? And so we could have done at that point to say, listen, we have a higher calling. We're trying to bring people to Christ. And so how can you try to stop us, government? By the way, it's just the city of Royal Oak. I mean, what, what kind of authority do they really have over us? You know what we did instead? We took those signs down. Because that is, that is our authority. God's purposes are accomplished through them. Now, there will be times when we, we're not going to be able to stop and ask for permission from the government to disobey them in order to obey God. Do you understand? Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego later on in the book of Daniel, which I was just talking about? They're not going to go to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, you know what? I need to think about that. I mean, we've been thinking about this and we're wondering if you're willing to give us a second chance and, and do it a different way or allow us to slip out the side. No. He said, everyone must bow down. And it was time to bow down. And all they could do was stand, not bow down to this false god. And they realized that God would be able to protect them through it. And then we must recognize that the best human government cannot advance the gospel. This is often our argument. Listen, if we had a better government, then we would be able to explain the gospel better. More people would come to Christ. But you know the best human government? Think about the best government in your lifetime. Think about the best president and and house of Congress that you've had in your lifetime. Was the gospel any more advanced than than when it was oppressed? when, When believers were oppressed? The best human government cannot advance the gospel. And by contrast... The worst of governments cannot suppress the gospel. Do you realize that? The gospel thrives no matter who's in charge, humanly speaking. And that's because God is in charge. God will accomplish His purpose through the, through the preached Word of God, through the spread Word of God. And ultimately, to disobey the government is to disobey God. And when we do so, we are ultimately shaking our fist at God and said, if only I had a better government, then I could serve you better. I could win more souls for you, God, if I had a better government. And when we say that, what we're ultimately saying is, you know what, God, you didn't know what was best when you put this government in place. I could have chosen a better government than you. And in that sense, I'm a better God than you. Because you've chosen the wrong government for me. But God is accomplishing His purpose through the government. And He is using our government for our sanctification, for our growth in godliness. And I know that because Romans 8, verse 28 tells me that everything that God does is for His glory and for our good, for our uh, well-being, to help us to grow in Christ, including our governing authorities. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what Paul, on behalf of God, is saying is true? And if so, are you willing to submit to the government? Will you trust that although things sometimes seem to be spiraling out of control, 
God is not anxiously up there wringing His hands going, what am I going to do next? Who am I going to allow to come into office next? In fact, God has ordained every human governing authority. And He has put everyone in place according to His predetermined plan. And our place is not to question His justice. Our place is to submit. And in this case, it means submitting to our governing authorities. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Father, it is humbling to think about how how evil we have been acting in this area. Each of us can think of specific times when we have uh, when we have ridiculed our government and when we have subtly thought that you were not in control and that we just needed to do more, more political activism, more more rallies. But when we understand Your Word, we see that we are in error because You have ordained and put into place every governing authority. And although it doesn't make sense to us at times, although we see evil happening all around us and sometimes even incited by our government, we have to believe because Your Word tells us to that that You are in control and that we must submit. Lord, it is not easy. And there are times in life when we want to take the reins from You, take control of our circumstances on our own, and yet You don't need that to happen. In fact, we are much better off when You are in control. We're thankful that You are always in control. There is never a time when when life is spiraling out of control. And so we pray that You give us the grace to stand up for You by listening and obeying to our government in a God-honoring way. We pray that You'd help us to pay our taxes faithfully. That we would, uh, that we would submit to the laws that have been put in place. And that we would be happy to recognize that, they are, that our government is put there to accomplish good and, and to suppress evil. And although it's not as good sometimes as we would like, the alternative is, is pretty frightening to think if we had no government at all, if we had anarchy. So we thank You for our government. We thank You for our city's government, our, our state, people You've put in place there. We thank You for our president. Thank You for uh, the Supreme Court, House of Representatives, the Senate, Thank you for for the the police officers and and others who are in authority over us, and we pray that you'd help us to submit ourselves to them. Lord, we need your grace in this area, and we want to be a shining light of the gospel to not only our family and perhaps even believers around us to show us that to show them that we do truly believe the Gospel, that we confess that it is true and that we believe that what You're doing is right, but also that unbelievers will be able to see the same and give glory to You in heaven as Matthew says. May You give us grace, Lord, 
and forgive us where we have failed You. Help us to continually see our need to depend on You. And may we go from this place having become better citizens not only of this earth, but of heaven. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.